And on front page with me this morning is Lukman Haris Ahmad Shakir, anchor, journalist, and producer at Astro Awani. Good morning, Lukman. Morning, Shaz. Okay, now the recent extension of the food bank program at several public mm. universities has resurrected debate on the extent of the government's role in education. Does it go as far as ensuring no student goes hungry? Some findings were that, you know, most students, their grades will suffer when they work because they can't balance both. And then, of course, there are employers who don't want to hire part-timers. Transportation, location is an issue. Time management for travel, work, and studies is also an issue. This is why varsity students are saying, you know, they can't work in order to supplement their, I guess, their livelihood. So, Lokman, in your opinion, is it wise that Food Bank Malaysia extends to public universities? I think it is, Charles, because for me, government money is always well spent when it's spent on two things, food and education. And in a way, this is both. Some people say it's a waste of money and, and it shouldn't be channeled towards this. The government shouldn't go so far as to even provide food for students. Yeah, but for me, what better way to spend your money than to feed students, you know, the future generations who are studying for the future? Because I've always think of it this way. Students should always focus on studying and not on working. I don't think this is right. We are a developing country. We are aspiring to be a developed country. So to have your students put time aside uh, from studying to find work just to eat, I don't think this is right. It's just that the food bank system, it has to improve just a bit. How to improve, you know what, find sponsors. Mm-hmm. In the effort to make Malaysia great again, both the government and public sector have to do their part. The private sector is always saying, is always claiming to support the government and do their part. So this is one way they can walk the talk. Not to mention right. it's good publicity for a big market as well, young people. So I don't think the students should work while studying. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good thing that the government is doing because they should focus on studying. Well, what is intrinsically wrong with the system though that we have so many poor and starving students? I mean, this is a very uh, deep-rooted issue because it has roots in you know high cost of living and especially students who study in universities in urban areas like UM or UITM or NKL. Basically, it's just the, the, the high cost of living affecting them. I mean, I remember when I was studying, and this was some years ago, it was already expensive then, so it must be more expensive now. And you've got tuition, you've got textbooks, which are very expensive. And you've got to understand uh, there's a whole group of students whose parents are not really, really well off. Mm-hmm. Even parents who are from the middle class families finding it hard to afford a tertiary education even in public universities nowadays. So I would say that is the main problem as to why we are looking increasingly towards students to actually find sustenance for themselves. The idea of it is right. I mean, in Malay, we call it berdikari. Mm-hmm. Right, but don't obsess on, on trying to achieve that too much until you sacrifice your academics and because you're supposed to be studying. I mean, yeah. if you can work on the side, it's probably good, but I would not welcome it. I would not want my kids to do it. There's a time for that. Mm-hmm. After you finish studying, you've got 30 or so years to work. You can work all you want, <laughs> but when it comes, when, when it's time to study, then you study. All right. When we come back, we'll take a look at the constitutional change to drop voting age at the next parliament meeting. That's up next here on Light.
Win your share of 15K, which sounds like a song starts at 9 a.m. On front page with me this morning, uh, Lukman Harris, anchor, journalist, and producer at Astro Awani. The Pakatan Harpan government will table a bill to amend the federal constitution and lower the voting age from 21 to 18 years old at the next parliamentary meeting. YB Said Sadiq Said Abdul Rahman said that yesterday the youth and sports minister disclosed this after attending the Rise of the Asian Tiger Convention in UITM. Sha'alam campus, saying the decision was made at the last cabinet meeting. He also said that his ministry will be the vanguard of the effort to ensure the youth have a bigger say in determining the country's future. Now, there were talks on reducing the voter age since last year, reflecting the political landscape at the time. In reality, is youth more involved today in politics? Uh, we won't know for sure in terms of the figures until we have the next PRU, but we've had mm-hmm. a few by-elections since then. And the turnout has been more or less okay, but the turnout amongst young people is also very encouraging. So on a national front, we had very good turnout amongst young people. Again, we had almost half of the entire voter base being young people, and now a few by-elections also saw a lot of young people. And uh, in terms of figures, we are only going to know for sure when DE15 comes here granted. But in terms of the amount, if you look at, say, the amount of programs held by universities attended by uh, students, they've increased. And of course, if you look at chatter on social media, whether it's support towards the government or criticism towards the government, uh, at least in my opinion, I've seen a drastic increase uh, if you compare it for the past two or three years. And we monitor social media very effectively when we report uh, news. So uh, I have no reason to believe that that it has waned off. I think, if anything, the students are just going to get vocal. I mean, three years from now, when the mm-hmm. 15 comes, uh, you have, of course, you're going to have a bunch of young people who can vote for the first time. Right. And um, I think uh, if GE14 is anything to go by, I think it's laid the foundation for students to be more vocal. And it's admirable that the government is doing things like reiterate again and again that they will not stifle the freedom of speech among students. Mm-hmm. Students have the right to speak out. They, they are even amending laws to ensure that this happens regardless of whether, uh, of whether the government changes in the future. So all this is just going to make students uh, more and more vocal. All right. And, uh, you know, that vocality, <laughs> you know, it is coming through. You do hear voices of dissent and criticism, uh, especially with this PH government in uh, some of their not keeping to their campaign promises. Yeah. Of course mm. I do, but, uh, because, uh, that, and, and that's good. That's what we need. That proves that we have a healthy democracy, and uh, that also proves that now those who pay attention to politics and where the country is going is not just, you know, people who are working or old people, but students are also, you know, now uh, paying attention to what's happening and criticizing and voicing out what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And I welcome this. I welcome, you know, reducing the uh, voting age to 18 because a lot of countries have already done it a lot of modern democracy so-called modern mature democracies mm-hmm. have done it the US the UK they have lowered their voting age to 18 and even in Malaysia itself we by law recognize those who are 18 and above as adults. legal adults yeah. under our law they are able to obtain driving licenses they can they can even sign legally binding contracts and, mm-hmm. and get married without uh, consent from <laughs> their parents or guardians right. so there's no reason that you shouldn't have a say in the future of our country, which will very much uh, involve you because oh. you're still young. All right. When we come back, uh, we'll take a look at um, Malaysia never being an Asian tiger. This is according to one economist. We'll get Lukman's thoughts on that next here on Light. 
On front page with me this morning is Lokman Haris Ahmad Shakir, anchor, journalist and producer at Astro Awani. An economist has questioned Malaysia's title as an Asian tiger economy, saying the nation only ever qualified as a little tiger or little dragon. Speaking at a forum at the Rise of the Asian Tiger Convention, Madeleine Burma said the actual four Asian tigers were Taiwan, South Korea, Singapore and Hong Kong. She added that Malaysia was simply a second tier Asian economic power and voiced concern that the little tiger teeth that were not growing and some of the things the factors that were holding us back according to her was the 1997 Asian financial crisis and inequality in the country your thoughts is it fair to call the the Malaysian economy a little tiger well it's true because um, I I know it may seem unpatriotic when you mention that uh, but it's true because if you look at the facts you look at uh, the economic figures, you look at the size of our economy, how it was growing back then. We were not good enough yet to be called the Tiger of Asia. And, and yes, we have to be at the level of those four countries that you've mentioned, South Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong and Singapore. They are true tigers. Uh, but back then, this was in the 90s, we were, what happened was that we were identified to be one of the future tigers in Asia. Mm-hmm. And things seemed like it was on the right track for us to be a tiger uh, within a few years time so yes we were not a tiger yet but we were a tiger in the making i'm not sure why there was sort of like misunderstanding that we were an actual tiger maybe <laughs> it was just very politically expedient for some people to amplify mm-hmm. that and say oh look we've been recognized as one of the asian tigers but if you look at the facts like dr madeline has actually laid out mm-hmm. and she is a very experienced economist we were a little tiger. It's not wrong, actually. It's not wrong to say that we were not a tiger and we were just a little tiger. The message behind that was that we were on the right track and we would have been a tiger if things were done correctly since, you know, the past 10 or 15 years. That was, that's not to say, that's not to dismiss the country and its economy and neither is it to dismiss our potential now. Yes, well, let me quote economist Zuhair Rosli, who was also on the panel. He said, if we want to be a high-income nation, we need per capita income of 50,000 ringgit a year or more than 4,000 a month. And ask anyone on the side, do you earn, you know, approximately 4,000? Most would say no. So, Lokman, does this prove that we are far away from being a high-income nation? He's right, uh, but... I, I do think that this is a bit anecdotal. Yes, most people or a lot of people would not be able to say that they earn an income of 4,000 uh, ringgit. But that's not to say that the wealth generated by the country is very, very small and very, very far for us to be called uh, a high-income nation. We are not a high-income nation, I understand that. And I do agree to some extent with what he said. But the key is here... It's not just to create more wealth and increase the per capita income, but to also improve the distribution of the wealth that we create and, in fact, the wealth that we already have. We talk about inequality all the time, and this is not just a problem that plagues Malaysia, but the rest of the world. The thing is, our economy generates sufficient wealth, but that wealth is very much concentrated in the hands of a few people. Mm-hmm. If we are to ab- able to distribute that wealth better, I'm sure a lot more people could say that they earn 4,000 ringgit and above. All right. When we come back, uh, Dato' Sri Najib questions how a live broadcast of his trial would be- become circus. How? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. That's up next here on Light.
Win your share of 15K, which sounds like the song starts at 9 a.m. On front page with me this morning, Lukman Harris, anchor, journalist, and producer at Astro Awani. Former Prime Minister Datuk Sri Najib Razak said the circus remarks made by the Deputy Prime Minister when expressing disinterest in having his corruption trials broadcasted live makes no sense. In a tweet, he questioned how people sitting at home watching the live broadcast should be aired, equated it to becoming a circus. This was in reply to Datuk Sri Dr. Wan Aziza Wan Ismail's statement earlier uh, when she said she was not interested in making a circus of the trial proceedings. But I guess there's been a development in the whole live broadcast, hasn't there, Lukman? Yes. I mean, uh, if you talk about the pros and cons of broadcasting uh, Najib Razak's trial live, obviously mm-hmm. one of the so-called pros or advantages of doing so is transparency. Everyone can see what happened bit by bit. Everyone can see whether procedures are adhered to, whether justice is carried out sufficiently. And one of the causes, obviously, um, the fear that this will be, you know, there will be a trial by media. And whether the team, whether the litigators, or lawyers, or even the judges, the whole system will be more or less influenced by public opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the public is privy to the proceedings whilst it is going on. But my personal opinion is, you know, needless to say, this is a very high-profile case, very high-interest case. Everyone has a right to know. This is the first of its kind mm-hmm. in many ways, a former prime minister uh, being tried. Everyone wants to know what happens. In terms of the fear that we'll have a trial by media and whether the judges or the system will be influenced by public opinion, look, I think we have a very good justice system. We have an esteemed panel of judges. We have a very capable panel of lawyers and all those people in that courtroom are very capable, I'm sure, and very experienced. And so much so that they won't be swayed or influenced by public opinion or comments that they may hear, mm-hmm. uh, comments they might read on social media. I think that's a bit small for them. I think they're much better than that. Other countries have done it. I mean, um, we always look at the example of in the US, for example, uh, O.J. Simpson, the yes. O.J. Simpson trial in the 90s. Uh, once it is a very high-profile, high-interest case that has many, many dimensions, I think it's just the best way because what better way to show people that justice has been carried out properly, sufficiently, all the processes have been carried out according to rules and laws of the mm-hmm. court than to actually show it happening right. live. All right. When we come back, uh, we'll take a look at the CNN report about video games now being a legitimate high school sport. Uh, We'll ask what Lukman thinks about that next here on Light. On front page with me, Lukman Harris, anchor, journalist and producer at Astro Awani. Competitive video game playing, also known as esports, is now a high school varsity sport in eight states in the U.S. have joined the mix. The global esports market is expected to generate more than $1 billion in 2019. So the future is here, isn't it, Lungman? Should we start teaching esports in our schools? We should have at least two or three years ago. In fact, we're a bit behind. This is the way forward. We talk about being in the digital era, the industrial revolution 4.0, and we talk about new innovative ways to generate income. So this, gamers earn millions of dollars. So um, we should start teaching, we should look out of the box, we should start uh, teaching our kids skills for the future and mm-hmm. not just now, not just skills for them to be a lawyer or an office worker, but uh, the jobs of the future, the gamers, they earn a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So yes, we are way behind and we should start catching up now. 
Right. And, um, you know, lumping esports or rather e gaming into the whole uh, sporting arena now that, you know, Said Sadiq himself said that it's going to be in the, I think, Commonwealth Games, I think he said, or Asian Games. You know, but I personally, I don't see it as a physical thing. So I think they should have their own arena. What are your thoughts on this? I, I think he said it uh, for the Asian Games. I don't think it has to be physical for it to be so called um, sports. I mean, you you have a lot of proper sports which are not physical. Um, like chess? I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think well, you, exactly you read my mind. I didn't want to say it out loud, but, but yes, like chess. But it's a proper sport. Well, the definition of sports is that it is something that teaches you to be competitive and it has a gamification element to it. It doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to have tactics and all those things. And, and, and again, I mean, e-sports are things like it generates wealth. It's teaching kids to be entrepreneurs, you're teaching kids to have very high-earning jobs. I mean, a lot of jobs that going to be high-earning jobs, uh, let's say 10 years from now, are jobs that don't even exist yet today. Mm-hmm. So I think e-sports are a very good example. We just have to change the mindset of parents now that this is a hobby. Yeah. Uh, this is a proper career pathway for students, you know, or for young people. So what better way to inculcate that and to foster that to, to, than to actually incul- embed that into uh, our academic model it's time it's the 21st century it's the IR4 era so if we, can't, we don't do it other countries will so we will be left out alright wonderful thank you so much for your thoughts this morning Lukman no worries thank oh. you Shah. that was Lukman Haris Ahmad Shakir anchor journalist and producer at Astro Awani